If you have your Bibles, would you please go with me to John chapter 8. It's an absolutely loaded message today. Lots of scripture uh, going a variety of places here in the scriptures. And I'm just excited to walk through this with you. I just love how God's word just can take us some places that uh, he just opens up our eyes, you know. And the message today is, I saw the light. And um, this whole series we're in is the light of the world. Last week was in the beginning. And we were in John chapter 1 and we talked about how Jesus, he is eternal and he is God. He is one of the persons in the Godhead, the Father, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so he's our creator and the one who created all of this. He comes into a world that he created to people that he created and he'll be rejected And also received by people that he created. And that in the midst of all of that, he is referred to as light. And this light is eternal. And today we're going to walk through some passages where Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And it's really interesting the placement of where he says this. And I'm just excited to share this stuff with you. But before we get into the word, let's take a moment to pray Just ask the Lord to settle our hearts, get ready to receive from him. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, these passages that you've brought forward to me to share today, I'm just asking for your blessing, your anointing upon this time, that you'd speak into our hearts. Lord, that your light would shine and penetrate every area of darkness, every need, every circumstance, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them today. And Father, I ask a blessing on our children's ministry, the volunteers and the kids and staff. We ask a blessing on them, Lord. Grow them, guide them, lead them. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in John 8 here. This first portion, I'm going to just kind of talk us through this. How many of you have ever heard of the story about the woman who was caught in adultery? Okay, And this woman was brought out right out in front of Jesus and this group of people that he was teaching. And there was some Pharisees that had sort of caught this woman in the act, drug her out into this public space, and we see the awkwardness and the shame and and all that's going on, and we see how Jesus ministers right through this. In verse 4 and 5, they say, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And so what is Jesus going to do with this woman who was brought out before him? Verse 6 says they were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus, he stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And we don't exactly know what he wrote in the dirt. Some people speculate, did he write out the Ten Commandments? Because what he's about to say could shed light to that. Some people wonder if he started writing out the names of some women that some of these Pharisees had been having sexual relations with. So they kept demanding the answer, and he stood up and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Now you imagine whatever he was writing and what he said brought conviction to them. He stooped down and wrote in the dust again, and when the accusers heard this, they began to slip away one by one, 
beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus says to the woman, where are your accusers? Did one of them condemn you? And she says, no, Lord. And he says, well, neither do I. Now go and sin no more. That's a very uh, familiar passage for a lot of folks. You see Jesus having compassion on this woman in the midst of this just horrible, horrific situation. Can you imagine the shame and, and just how embarrassing that was for her? And Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but I want you to go and sin no more. And so a question that I want you to think about with that story, with all the people who were there, whether it was the crowds or the Pharisees or the woman who was living this lifestyle and brought before Jesus, how many of them were living in darkness? And I would say all of them were. Jesus was teaching and speaking to the crowd. You know, we've got the Pharisees. Clearly, they're living in darkness. It's like they could not get this whole Jesus thing through their thick heads and then even into their hearts. We see this woman walking in this lifestyle that was sinful and, and full of darkness, and yet God has compassion on these people who are living in darkness. And what's really interesting is right after he tells her, go and sin no more, the very next verse of John chapter 8, he begins to address the crowd again. And the crowd's kind of got a mix of the people he was speaking to plus the religious leaders. And this is what Jesus says, and it'll be on the screen. It was our verse for the week. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have you ever thought about Jesus' follow-up statement to that whole thing that went down? It's like right after that went down, he says these words. And think about all the people that were living in darkness in that moment. And this is one of these I am statements that Jesus makes. He, he makes these I am statements. I am the bread of life, right? And here he says, I am the light of the world, and he has come to penetrate the darkness, and those who follow him no longer have to walk in darkness. This encounter this woman had with Jesus, I'm guessing it changed her life. You mean this religious man didn't condemn me in my sin? This, this man actually had compassion on me? He stuck his neck out? For me, you can see the gospel all over that. Well, it goes on, verse 13, the Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself, like when he says, I'm the light of the world. They said, such testimony is not valid. Now, one of the reasons why they felt it wasn't valid is you needed two witnesses to make that testimony valid. And so they're bugged. Not only do they not like what Jesus said, but they're like, but you're the only one that's saying this, Jesus. And I absolutely love Jesus' response to them. And you'll see this in verse 17 and 18. He says, your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. And then he throws this into the Pharisees' faces in verse 18. I am one witness. Oh, yeah, and my father 
who sent me is the other. Oh, man, did that set the Pharisees off. And then he says, you don't know who I am. You don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. I mean, he is just having words with these Pharisees, and, and they're all frustrated, and it's just going on and on and on. And it eventually comes to this point where Jesus tells them some truth in verse 23. You'll also see this on the screen. And I think this is important when you consider that this world is full of darkness and here this light comes into the world. It says, from Jesus, he says, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. So he's speaking to some blindness. They're not understanding who Jesus is. They can't see it. In fact, in verse 27, there was one point when Jesus was talking, when he was referencing the Father. In verse 27, it says, They, the Pharisees, they did not understand. They're blind. These religious leaders who seem to have it all together and had all their rules and regulations and what it looks like to love God and obey God, they're blind. They don't understand what Jesus is sharing. And then this crowd of people in verse 30. You see, the Pharisees don't get it. They're blind. But there's some in the crowd who are starting to see. And verse 30 says, even as he spoke, Jesus, many put their faith in him. So you see a story here of people who are spiritually blind and people who are receiving their spiritual sight. And then if you go to the next chapter in John chapter 9, I think there's this incredible story of this man who was born blind. And in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So they're attaching it to some sort of lifestyle that his parents had or he had. And it says it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. It says, we must carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here, I am the light of the world. Another translation says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he begins to do this healing tactic that I wouldn't necessarily recommend. But he spits on the ground and he makes mud with the saliva and then he spreads it over the man's eyes. It's like, thank you for that. But Jesus says, go and wash yourself at the pool of Siloam. And Siloam means sent. So Jesus sends this man off to the pool. And I remember hearing some instruction one time in a class down in Des Moines by a, uh, a person that had been to Israel and they were in this general area where they said this is where Jesus would have put mud on the man's eyes. And the path to this pool would have been a straight shot. And so he sends this blind man off to go and receive his sight. It says, so the man went, he washed, and he came back seeing. 
So this man was healed physically. He was blind, and now he sees. But how many of you know that God just doesn't want to touch you physically? More importantly than that, he wants to touch you spiritually. This man is still blind, spiritually, just like those Pharisees. So word gets out, okay, this guy that we've known to be blind for many years, all of a sudden he can see. I'm sure there was some chatter going on. It says his neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar, they began to ask these questions. Like, isn't this the guy who used to sit and beg for money? As they kept going on, eventually he begins to testify to his own healing. He goes, yes, I am the same one. Then they go, well, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and watch yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. He's testifying to the physical healing. Now they want to know where Jesus is. Where is this guy that did this healing? And they also bring this man who used to be blind. They bring him before the Pharisees. Uh Uh-oh. They weren't going to take a liking to that, and it actually gets kind of interesting because they begin to ask him questions. What happened? Who did this? They even bring his parents in. His parents are a bit nervous about what the Pharisees might do, and they're like, well, you can just ask him yourself. It's like, way to hang in there with me, Mom and Dad. And so all of this is going on, and there's a point where the man realizes the Pharisees aren't big fans of Jesus. And the blind man starts calling out these blind Pharisees. And they don't like that. And they begin to ask him, and eventually you see in verse 27, he says, look, I've told you once. He already told him how he got healed. He goes, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples as well? Well, they didn't like that either. In fact, it says in verse 28, they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We do see from this account that at some point in this man's journey, he makes the transition from the physical to the spiritual. And he can see that Jesus Christ is his savior. And I love this. Here's this poor, blind beggar standing before the Pharisees, having been healed physically, and he can see. And as he's looking at the Pharisees, he answers them. He says, you don't even know where he comes from, he being Jesus, yet he opened my eyes. And then in verse 32, he says, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man that was born blind. So he affirms the testimony. Then you see here in verses 35 through 41, Jesus finds out what's going on, that this man is sort of in front of the Pharisees, and Jesus makes a connection with this man. And as this is all going down, you clearly see in verse 38 that the man says, Lord, I believe. He's he's affirming what has happened in his heart and in his life. And I want to point out verse 39. 
Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. What does that mean? Well, we know the first part of that, so that the blind will see. That's in reference to that man, right? But the second part, when Jesus says, and those who see will become blind, these pious, haughty, hypocritical Pharisees that think they've got it all together and they can see clearly, they're actually blind as a bat. And Jesus says, I've come to bring judgment. And so if there's a religious leader that I want to share some testimony about, it's a man by the name of Saul. Perhaps you've heard of him. Perhaps you've heard his story. You know his story. But we're going to walk through it a little bit here today because I think it's so profound. You, you see in John 8 and 9 this interaction going on with Jesus and these blind Pharisees. Well, let's take a blind religious leader and let's see what God did in his life. And so if you will, go with me to the book of Acts. We're going to jump out of John. Right into the book of Acts. It's the very next book of the Bible. You don't have to go very far here, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. The very end of Acts chapter 7, rolling into Acts chapter 8, you see one of the first disciples that is killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, known by the name of Stephen. And Stephen is giving a sermon to these religious leaders in this crowd, and as he's proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, they're not having it. And they were infuriated in verse 54. It says the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations. They shook their fists at him in rage but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then he told the crowd. He says, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Oh, boy, they didn't like that. In fact, it says they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. And they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. So Saul is here, a part of what is going on in this fight against Stephen. And in verse 59, as they stone him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He falls to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge this sin against them. And with that, he died. And then it says right there in verse 60, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. That sets the tone with who Saul is. But it goes even further with his opposition. It says a great wave of persecution began that day. Now we're into chapter 8 here. And it was sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. 
He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. This was not a guy that they were likely going to invite over to their house for dinner. He had it against the followers of Jesus, and he stood there in full agreement with the killing of Stephen. And then if you jump to Acts chapter 9, you see a little more of this man's story. In Acts 9, starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. What an evil man coming against God's people. And it says he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any of the followers of the way, that is the way of Jesus, that he might find there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. This is, he's made it his M.O. I am against these people. He's in opposition to Jesus. Would you agree that this man is blind? Yes. Well, look at this in verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to them, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus himself is showing up to Saul. The voice replies, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. And there were some men there with Saul. They were speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anybody. Only Saul was watching this, and Saul picked himself off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he was now blind physically. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, And he remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. What an encounter. This man who was spiritually blind was just struck by the light of God. Now he can't see physically. But I will tell you that something is about to happen to this man spiritually. Something that is worth way more than his physical sight. There was another believer in Damascus by the name of Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, he says, yes, Lord. The Lord said, I want you to go down to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. And I bet Ananias was like, um, no. This was a man that was breathing murderous threats on your people. You want me to go and what? And it says this, he is praying to me right now. And you see the blinders coming off of Saul. Spiritually, he's starting to see the light. He says, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. Well, I guess I'm going to have to go now, right? And he's coming in and he's laying hands on him so that he can see again. And then Ananias argues with the Lord. How many of you know you can never win an argument with God? But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. 
But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to you that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Saul can now see physically, but even deeper than that, Saul can see spiritually. So we know Saul's Jewish name, his Roman name or his Gentile name was Paul. And we refer to him as the Apostle Paul. And he would go on to write books of the Bible. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Do you see how light can come and penetrate the darkness and absolutely transform people's lives? Saul was a man who was completely in opposition to God's people and the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's like, I'm still going to minister to you, Saul, because I love you. Even though you're rejecting me right now, I'm going to get your attention. And Saul's life is transformed. This apostle Paul begins this journey of ministering to people. And just as the Lord said, he is my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentile. It says, even to kings. And I want to go to one of his conversations in front of King Agrippa. If you go to Acts 26, Saul is about to give his testimony here to this king. And we're going to get to see a little bit of his testimony. He sheds a little bit more light on that encounter he had on the road to Damascus as he's speaking to this king. If you go to verse 9, this is what Paul says. I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had punished them in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Then one day I was on a mission to Damascus armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests... About noon, your majesty, I was on the road, and a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. So I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you've seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. 
and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And then they will receive the forgiveness of their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. He is testifying by his own experience. He saw the light, and he's also saying, God has now given me a mission to preach about this light into a world full of darkness. And Saul was a man who would have known the scriptures. He was a very religious man. So the Old Testament was not some foreign thing for him. And when you consider that the blind shall see, he would have known passages like Isaiah 42, 16, when it says, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light. And in Psalm 18, 28, it says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Saul would have understood these things. He would have known these scriptures. He was a well-learned man in the Old Testament scriptures. And we know that Saul would go on to write books of the New Testament. And I want to share with you something that he wrote to the church in Corinth. The people in Corinth were known as Corinthians. These were believers in the city of Corinth. And you'll see what he is stressing in regards to his testimony of, of God bringing light into darkness. And, and there's this tension between Satan and, and, and the God Almighty. And, and he says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, The God of this age, that is Satan, and it's lowercase God, just point that out. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But there's good news, right? We don't have to be blind. In verse 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Everyone who's listening to me has either been blind spiritually or you are blind spiritually. And until you turn to the light of Jesus Christ, you will continue to walk in darkness. And as I said last week, there's people who reject the one who created them. They reject the light that could come in and, and absolutely transform their life and I want to refer to that devotional we handed out to you last week. On page 30, it says, Light has come into the world, and many have rejected to the light, and many reject him today. But yet in the midst of that, he offers that free gift of salvation. He says, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. I am the light of the world. And those who follow me no longer have to walk in darkness. When it comes to application with today's message, we've covered a lot of ground here. And personally, I was just like jazzed to walk you guys through this. Because I just think, how rich is that 
with Saul slash Paul to see his transformation and in standing in front of a king and, and telling him about these things. I was blind, now I, I see. And all of you have a testimony of when the light of God had come into your life and changed and transformed you. And you can share that with other people. Now, the Bible doesn't say that King Agrippa was so moved by Paul's testimony, he's like, I want to receive Jesus too. There's some speculation that in Acts 26, that Agrippa says, you've almost convinced me. But the more accurate translation is, you think I'm going to be convinced that quickly? So it doesn't seem that they had like a moment to, let's pray. And let's, you know, see what the Lord does here. But Saul, he preached it anyways. And we share about the light wherever we go. And we trust that as we are doing that, God is up to something. You can't bring the light of Christ with you without lighting up something. It is so bright. It is so brilliant. He's going to use his light shining through you. So my application questions here would be, has the light of Christ transformed your life? Or do you feel that you're walking around in darkness? Come to the light. Receive the light of God that is able to save you from your sin, that is able to take you from darkness and put you into his light and transform your life. Come to that light today. If you've already made that change in your life, you've been redeemed of your sin, and you are in the light, I want to encourage you to be like Paul and share that message with other people. And I also want to say this. Don't let the mistakes of your past define what you do with the light moving forward. Saul could have said, I, I can't do this. I, I, I was there when people were being killed. And I was like the thumbs up guy. Right? And now God wants to use me to bring this message of Jesus. Let that ring loud and clear that God takes people's lives that are broken and perhaps they've even been in opposition to him and he says, I want to use you. That's why I created you. Let me use you. Don't shrink back in shame and condemnation. The enemy who loves darkness, he does not want that light coming through. So he will continue to, to try to point his bony finger in your face and say, you can't do this. I know what your past is. And there's a certain point, I know we talked about this in our freedom ministry. There's a certain point where you go, yeah, I know my past too. And isn't it something that God would forgive me of all of that? You want to try to shame me, Satan? Well, guess what? I'm redeemed by the light of God. And I know that light is something I should share. Don't let that hold you back. Let his light shine through you.
Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time spent in the scriptures. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would open our eyes to the things you want us to see spiritually. Lord, if there's anyone listening right now that as they consider their life, if I ask this question, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And if you don't know how to answer that, then I encourage you to come to Jesus today. Let him redeem your life. If you desire to receive him, please understand that Jesus came to this earth to die for your sin, to set you free from the penalty and the curse of sin, and to give you life everlasting. If you desire that today, I just ask that you pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I want to receive you today. Please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. Take me from darkness and move me into your light. I receive you by grace through faith. Help me to walk in this light from this day forward. Father, I thank you for anyone who's prayed that. I pray that you would make that very real for their lives, that they would grow in their walk with you. And Father, as we respond to a message like this, help us to take that light, the light of Jesus, into this world of darkness so that others may be healed of spiritual blindness. And Father, I am also just going to take a moment as a pastor to pray over the physical side of this. It's possible there's someone listening to my voice right now that you are struggling with being able to see physically. And Lord, we know that you can heal by the touch of your hand. And I'm just asking that you would minister to these individuals. And we ask for a touch from heaven to bring healing to these eyes. And Lord, we lift that to you, knowing you're the one who heals. So we call on you, our healer. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.